Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Attachments podcast. My name is Jessica De Silva, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and an attachment coach helping adults end their unhealthy dating patterns and create stronger, secure relationships. Attachment theory gives us insight into how we currently experience love through understanding our earlier attachment dynamics. I created this podcast as a safe space to share stories and insights on different aspects aspects of attachment so that you can better understand how this manifests in your own life. My only request is that you listen with an open heart and an open mind. So without further ado, let's get into it. Before we get into this conversation, I wanted to pop in here and let you know that I'm offering a one-time 20% discount on my digital course, My Secure Self Academy. We recently had a glitch in our system, and so to compensate for the inconvenience, I'm extending this one-time coupon. So if you have been eyeing this course, this is the best time to take advantage as you get a $200 discount. If you're ready to learn the insight and skills to become secure and confident within yourself and your relationships, use the coupon code SECUREME, all caps, when you sign up. The link and coupon code are in my show notes. Hello, everybody. And today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. This is someone that I appreciate so much and admire so much. Um, This conversation is especially significant for anxious attachment styles. I mean, we touched on every concern that an anxious attachment style has. Um, So if you have an anxious attachment style or you're in a relationship with an anxious attachment style, this conversation is going to answer a lot of your questions and be very, very illuminating for you. So Ricky Close is a writer and entrepreneur with a captivating authenticity and passion about attachment healing. Her mission is to help heal anxious attachments and create more secure relationships. She is the writer and content creator behind Anxious Hearts Guide, a community of over 100,000 people on Instagram. What she started with the desire to help other anxious daters in 2020 is now a community and collective global audience of 160,000 plus. It was her research into attachment theory that helped to completely transform her relationships from rock bottom. She was so astonished by the results of her research that she compelled or felt compelled to help others improve their relationships by writing about her experiences, healing her attachment issues. Ricky's involvement with the psych and self-help community online inspired her to write the book that she would have needed years ago. Her book, The Anxious Heart's Guide, Uh, which has already sold thousands of copies in 14 plus countries, is an approachable, accessible, and enlightening window into why we do the frustrating things that we do to chase love and how to rise above it. You can follow her on Instagram or TikTok at Anxious Hearts Guide. I am so thrilled to share this conversation with you just letting you know that we nerd out on attachment theory. Um, So if you love attachment as much as we do and you're interested in really applying this work into your life, I introduce you to this conversation. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. So today on the podcast, we have Ricky Close. Is that correct? Okay. That's it. That's it. Got it. Got it. I just, I just asked her, by the way, what her last name was and forgot it in two seconds. So I'm thrilled that you are here. I love following your page on Instagram. You have, first of all, you have a huge following, which is amazing that people know about attachment styles and want to learn about their, um, specifically their anxious attachment style. Yeah. Isn't that great? My favorite part is just bringing this to people's awareness. Um, I was just living in a completely different way before I knew about this stuff. So being able to bring it into people's awareness and hopefully make their lives and relationships better and happier. That's that's the best part for me. That's incredible. So I actually wanted to ask you, where did you learn about attachment styles? 
Well, I'm a, I am, um, my background is in writing. I went to school for writing, um, but I'm actually just a raging psychology nerd. Um, I seek out psychology and self-help books. And instead of sitting around watching Netflix, that's what I do is read about psychology and attachment and relationships. Yep. <laughs> um, but honestly, before, so I, I was married for like 12 years and I uh, found myself in the middle of a divorce and I had not encountered attachment theory, even with all the psychology reading that I like to do. Um, that was a, that was a new one. So when I found myself in the middle of a divorce, I was like, I have to figure out what my side of this was. Cause I knew it couldn't just all be my ex-husband. And when I found attachment theory, just every single bell was ringing. And I was like, that's me and that's him. And I feel like this is a huge part of what, what happened between an otherwise pretty good relationship. Um, and then I just, I just dove in head first. Um, I, I must've read over 60 books on it and research papers. And I just love everything about it. Um, a lot of it's really dry and boring, especially the research side of it. But I thought people need to know this stuff. And um, I was telling a friend one day, like, like, people need to know this stuff, but nobody's going to read this dry, boring stuff that I love that's so helpful. And he was like, geez, Ricky, wouldn't it be cool if like a writer knew about this and they could like <laughs> present it to the world in a way that was easy to understand? And, you know, he was totally very sarcastic about it, but I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. I should do it. <laughs> and, um, and I haven't looked back since. I just, um, being able to write about this stuff in a way that people connect with and understand that they can actually use to help improve their relationships. It's just been the most satisfying thing I've ever done with my time. So I, I have no in intentions of stopping. I'm just going to keep talking about it until I'm blue in the face, I think. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned instead of watching Netflix, you'll just read mm -hmm. books on attachment. It's like, that's exactly it's true. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I'm glad to hear there's other people yes. that do that because I really... People and I will ask me like, oh, have you seen this show? Have you seen it? No, I haven't, but I've read this book on attachment. Exactly. <laughs> My friends are so tired of hearing about it. <laughs> I know that's so funny. It's like, I try to force myself. I'm like, Jess, let's just relax and watch a movie. Yeah. But it's, it's also yeah. it's wonderful that your work is also something that you're just so passionate about, but yeah, finding those yeah. boundaries. Sometimes I have to force myself. So I feel you there. It, yeah. It's tough, isn't it? Um, it was just this last weekend. I finally, I started watching The Patient on Hulu and I was like, wow, this is, this is like what I'm missing out on. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop reading in my spare time, but it really is a good thing to sometimes just chill out and, and yes. watch something for fun, isn't it? Yeah. And so I'm curious about your marriage. Um, I was actually married oh. as well when I was, I married at 19 years old and divorced at 21. Yeah. So yeah relationship history has been very, um, uh, unstable in a lot of ways, but, yeah. but I'm curious with you, did you, was your relationship dynamic, the classic anxious avoidant or what was your experience? You know, I think it was, it's hard. Um, I have to dig really far back to remember the early days. Um, cause I met my ex-husband when I was, was I 19? We didn't get married right away, but I think I was 19 when I met him too. So that was like a college thing. We were both very young, um, you know, and then we did what you do after college, right? I found a spouse and now we get married and now we have a child and, you know, we were following what we thought we should do. Um, neither one of us with any sense of what a healthy relationship looks like or what, you know, what you're supposed to be bringing to a relationship or working on yourself. We just, neither of us knew at all. So um, I think things went, were really, really good until, you know, real life started happening. Uh, having children is tough. That brings a whole new dynamic into a relationship. Um, we moved a lot for his work. That's tough. Um, and we moved to places where neither one of our families were. That's tough. Um, so when the stressors started coming in, neither one of us had any kind of healthy coping mechanisms or ways to reconnect or ways to process how we were feeling when we felt disconnected. Um, so, you know, over the years, all those things kind of chipped away at us. And um, yeah, it wasn't until it wasn't until it was too late 
that I really started to find the pieces um, that would fix that. So I definitely, it was, as you know, divorce is so painful. And um, as I started to come out the other side of it and feel good again, I was like, I would really love to just help other people not (laughs) just feel like they were lost and floundering when relationships fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some of your aha moments? Because I hear that a lot, right? People Mm -hmm. coming on your page or, uh, you know, reading our content, they're like, Oh my God, I wish I would have known this a year ago or 10 years. What a great question. Yeah. I think one of my biggest ones, this is going to freak the anxious attachers out. So brace yourself, anxious attachers. One of my biggest aha moments was um, when I started to look into avoidant attachment Mm. and I realized that those people have feelings too. And I know that sounds terrible, but I spent a good portion of, of my, the divorce process, like justifying all the ways that I felt by like, well, clearly this happened because my ex-husband doesn't have emotions. And, And that was like, so wrong. It was so wrong when I learned more about avoidant attachment and how it was really the other side of the same coin, um, gaining that empathy for him and what he must've went through really helped me see my part of how I had, you know, how I had contributed to the divorce too. And um, yeah, that fueled my fire too, to, to, I wanted to tell people like, and I try to do this in the nicest way possible, but I think there's a lot of tough love on my page. Like, Like, I know you're hurting, but like a huge part of getting over this is realizing the part that you're contributing to it. Yes. And I think that's so important owning it. Um, it, it gave me a lot of my power back too, because then I stopped feeling like a victim and I was like, gosh, if, if I was such a big part of this, that means there's a lot that I can do to make this better in the future for myself and and for my partners too. Oh my God. That was great. I am so glad that you mentioned the the tough love in the sense of, Mm -hmm. I want you to look at your patterns, right? Because we are the Mm -hmm. common denominator in all of our relationships. So, Mm -hmm. and it's tough. It's tough to not point the finger at others and be like, well, what, what am I contributing to this situation? How can I change? Am I attracting people? Right. Or Mm -hmm. so, um, that's incredible. So tell me, you know, what were, how did, how did you start changing? What exactly, what were some things that you did to kind of look at yourself and, and make some of these changes? That's another good one. I think, um, I am a prolific journaler and I know that journaling is not for everybody. Um, my writing background, it's like, of course I'm a prolific journaler, but Um, realizing that I had never really taken any kind of a good look at what I actually wanted or needed. um, That was huge. That was, um, yeah, that was, it was really hard. I mean, even now I'm like thinking back to that self that had no idea what she wanted or who she was. Um, That was maybe the first building block to, to getting over all of this um, was just learning how to sit down and write about what I actually wanted and what I actually valued and who I, who I was and who I needed somebody else to be. Um, all those things I had historically just let other people define for me. Yeah. And so figuring that out was massive. Um, I want to say the next part of it was learning how to communicate that because it's one thing to sit with yourself in your journal or your lists of all the things that you need. And it's a totally other ball game to be able to tell somebody else that, because that's like a scary moment, oh you know? What Terrifying. if the things that I say, like, what if I never hear from them again? What if I want too much? That's a question that I get all the time from the folks on the account. Um, those were both very big. Um, and a couple of books uh, that really paved the way for that. Um, I think uh, difficult conversations, I want to say that's by Douglas Stone, uh, was probably one of the biggest turning points for me. Um, because just learning how to identify, uh, the feeling that I need to talk about something tough. And then he gives you ways to talk about it that aren't so terrifying. He gives you ways to deal with it when you get 
responses that don't feel that great. Um, mm -hmm. Learning how to do that was massive. Honestly, if I had done nothing other than just read that book, I might still be married. <laughs> because just knowing how to communicate things that are uncomfortable is just such a huge piece of the pie. Yeah. And thank God for these books. Thank oh my gosh. I know. I know. Can you imagine? I don't know where I, I mean, I, I loved my therapist. He was like, he was another, let me throw him in as a huge part of what got me through this too. But, um, having, having a guide like that, I was always a really good student. Mm -hmm. So having a book, having a book or lots of books to teach yeah. me how to do the things that I didn't learn in childhood. Um, yeah, it's massive. Yeah. And so much research also indicates, and just what I've seen too, and, you know, working with clients is that anxious attachments. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I see avoidance too. Like I have clients that are avoidance. Oh, want sure. I'm secure people. It, they exist. They, they exist. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I <laughs> wanted to touch on that too, that you're right. They are humans and they have emotions and it's just oh, yeah. that they uh, they respond to their anxiety differently, right? They expand, mm -hmm. respond to their anxiety oppositely than the anxious attachment, with, which could come off cold and could come off. Sure. Um, but, mm -hmm. but I love that attachment theory gives us that inside look of what's actually going on underneath. So yeah, I you uh, it, yeah I've, I've often thought that um, a lot of the writing on attachment theory gives avoidant attachers the words that they don't have themselves I love that it's one of the things I love most about um my good friend the loving avoidant that page it's like it's like all the things that my ex-husband and even my current partner who's avoidant could not can, you know cannot say for themselves wow. and being able to look you know peek into their brain like that it gives me so much empathy for what they're you know, and that empathy is one of the things that allows me to slow down and talk to them and deal with them in more compassionate, helpful ways yeah. and not take things so personally also. Right. Oh, my, the, the taking things personally has been huge. My partner, he's, yeah. he's secure, but he has avoidant mm -hmm. tendencies and just having mm -hmm. that insight is so helpful yeah. because I know that, okay, his space doesn't mean that he doesn't want to be with me or he doesn't Absolutely. love me anymore. It's just <laughs> his way of operating and that's okay. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So man, it makes a tremendous difference to, to know these attachment styles. Yep. I, I have to interject and say, I absolutely love everything that you write about attachment in, in your posts. And I was wondering if there were any books um, that, that spring to your mind that were particularly like, this is, this is a book that really like lit you on fire for yeah, understanding yeah. and wanting to communicate more about this stuff. Cause you seem just as passionate about the attachment stuff as me. Yeah. I mean, well, so my book for communication that I really like is nonviolent mm -hmm. communication by Mark. Oh Lundberg. yeah. That's <laughs> a classic. That's a classic. Yes. Yeah. Love that book. <laughs> he, he talks about needs. He talks about human mm -hmm. needs and my entire approach is just understanding human needs. I mean, that's mm -hmm. essentially what it's all about. Um, mm -hmm. But I love, I mean, I'm sure you've read Power of Attachment um, by mm -hmm. Diane Wilheller, Hold Me Tight. Yes. That's a good yeah. one. Um, yeah, I would say those really sparked, those really sparked my interest and helped me understand attachment theory on a deeper level. Awesome. Yeah. I always have to, I'm such a fangirl for Stan Tatkin. I have to throw him in. Um, Stan yes. Tatkin's Wired for Love yeah. is another one of my favorites, um, mostly because of the very compassionate way that he deals with avoidant attachment. Because yeah. I know a lot of folks ask me like, when they when their avoidant partner is open to learning about stuff, they're like, what book should I, should I give them if they wanna learn more about this? And I'm like, not attached, don't do it. Oh, right? yes, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, but I'm like, and I love attached. Don't get me yeah. wrong, but, but don't give that one to right. an avoidant partner. Um, Stan Tatkin's wired for love. Just the way that he explains things in such an approachable and compassionate way is. is yeah. And one. I love the neuroscience too. The neuroscience. Yeah. There's a lot of science mm -hmm. in that book. <laughs> a ton. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's great because that's, I mean, that's really what we're learning is how the brain is operating, how our attachment system yeah. operates. Um, yeah. I, I, I on that, that note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's worth a reread too. Um, 
on that note, the neuroscience behind all this attachment stuff also helps me to stop taking things so personally. I used to worry that needing too much, which I was convinced I did need too much. I worried that needing too much meant that I was inherently unlovable and, Mm. you know, all that junk. When you learn that there's actual like neurons firing when they shouldn't be like, when, when you figure that out, you're like, gosh, I'm not unlovable. I've just, I've got a system that's operating in a way that's difficult for other people to handle. And there's stuff that I can do about it. It just opens you up to all this love that you never thought you would okay. be able to. So we're diving yeah. a little bit deeper in that. <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, because you're right. Mm-hmm. Like that is the biggest um, challenge I feel or, or worry mm-hmm. that anxious attachments have is I'm too needy. I feel like I am too needy and I'm pushing people away. Yeah. What is your take on this? Well, I was just, I actually was just thinking about this this morning because it's so funny in the shower. Some people are thinking about what they're going to do on their way to work or I'm thinking about attachment. Me too. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. And um, this morning I was trying to think of a good way. I, I wanted to grab like a really good metaphor for folks who were wondering, do I need too much? And what I came up with, I don't have the perfect metaphor yet, but what I came up with was um, I imagined, I imagine like, imagine you're in the desert with your partner, right? You're the anxious partner. You're the anxious partner and they're the avoidant and you're in the desert together. And you're like, ah, I'm like, I'm so thirsty. I need a gallon of water. Right. Mm-hmm. And your avoidant partner is like, that's ridiculous. Like no one needs a gallon of water. You need too much. Right. But they're walking along and they're not drinking any water at all right? Like their idea of water intake in this desert is like, it's skewed in the same way that yours is. You don't need a gallon to get by or be happy, but you think you do because you're that thirsty, right? And they're, they're walking along thinking that they don't need any water at all. And it's like, you're both wrong in different ways, right? Um, and you're both pointing the finger at each other, thinking the other one's wrong. But honestly, like there's work that both partners need to do on both sides. Even if you have a secure partner who, um, you know, let's say that the correct amount of water is one glass, right? Even if you have a secure partner who's like, I've got my one glass of water and I'm drinking it happily here in the desert. And you, it seems to me that you need too much requesting this one gallon. They might not understand the, the neurons that are firing, telling you that you need a gallon of water, you know? So the whole thing is a giant misunderstanding, right? And every person who's standing there with their own water or water needs that they're perceiving is perceiving the other person's in a way that makes the others look wrong. I have not figured this out. I want to make it a lot more eloquent than that, but um, I want to find this. I want to find a way to use this metaphor to tell people that it's like one, you don't need a gallon of water. All this love and affection that you think you need that I thought I needed when I was at my most anxious, it is excessive. I mean, it's something that the vast majority of people will not be able to give you. Mm. Um, but also you're gonna be fine with one glass and also to the avoidance, you need water to get through that desert. So I'm gonna figure out a more, as a writer, I'm gonna figure out a more eloquent eloquent way to say that. But I, that's the only way I could think of. I want to be able to tell people like, yes, you do need too much, but also needs are legitimate. You have to have water, you die, right? And your partner who thinks that you don't need any water at all is also setting themselves up for failure. So, wow. Wow. Anyway, thanks for coming to my TED talk. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that because it's, Mm-hmm. this this topic of needs right like okay what is the perfect what is the correct amount of water right what is the right. correct amount of needs and there is no correct amount of needs it's no so correct. subjective right right it's there's so no subjective. correct but for sure you can get too far in either end of the spectrums because yes. you have too much water you get super sick and you have no water at all you're definitely not going to make it Ooh. um so the answer is somewhere in the middle but it's also like what you're seeing your partner requesting or needing is probably skewed, you know, based on what you think is yeah. the right way too. For sure. That's tough. It makes so then, Oh yeah. Go for it. Oh, good. I was going to say, so then from there, people ask, 
well, what do I do with that? Right. Okay. I understand that maybe it, it looks to me like I need more than I actually do. What do I do with that? Um, and I, and they don't want to hear it, but you communicate, you communicate with somebody about what's, what's the happy medium that we can share or that we can pool our resources together. Maybe you can learn to, to see, just take one, one glass and see how you feel. Mm. You know, maybe we can talk about how that feels or Maybe I can share some of mine with you and when, when you don't have enough. And anyway, I'm still working on all of that. No, I love Hopefully it. That'll make it into the next book. <laughs> I, I love it. It, um, it, it reminds me because I've been pondering this as well. Right. I've, mm-hmm. I mean, I fall more in the fearful avoidance spectrum, but like, Oh I, really? Oh yeah. But I, I, yeah, I'm all over the place. That, that <laughs> actually makes a lot of sense. I feel like the fearful avoidance that I talk to have such a finger on both yeah. elements that they're able to see the whole thing very clearly when they yeah. do research about it, you know. Um, Ricky, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. That's for a perfect the, way to for say the work, it. Yeah. For the work that I do, it's good because mm-hmm. then I can help both people or yeah. all, you know, all the people involved, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's quite complex, but mm-hmm. what I was saying with that though, in terms of needs, because I've been thinking about this so much, you know, with myself as well is, um, uh, it, it reminds me of this quote from John Bowlby, um, that mm-hmm. we're only as needy as our unmet needs. Mm, I love that one. I yeah. love that quote. I love that quote. Yeah. And what I realized is like, okay, I have more needs than some other people, right? I desire mm-hmm. more water than right, my right. partner. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, and that's, that's okay. okay. Yep, that is totally okay. But also, how do I meet, how do I find that water myself? Like, yes, yeah. I can depend on him yeah. to share a little bit of his water maybe, but mm-hmm. how do I find this water myself? So it's helped me mm-hmm. really become more I mean, interdependent, but more independent mm-hmm. than codependent. Like it yes. moved that pendulum for me a little mm-hmm. bit. So I don't feel as needy anymore, but probably because I've learned to meet my own needs more. Fantastic. That yeah. That's the work. No, that's the work. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's especially the work for the anxiously attached too, because yeah. we're extraordinarily bad at meeting our own needs when we when we haven't done any any looking into this stuff and um and like what you were saying too we don't realize um that if we look around a little we can find springs you know we can find little hidden water stashes and we can create water from nothing sometimes too we don't know that we have that power and are most anxiously attached I love you have to find it you have to go looking for it you know Yeah. And what would you say, Ricky, for people that say, but man, like creating my own water (laughs) or finding, I shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. I know. I've, I've, I've heard it all. (laughs) Or maybe like the water that I find isn't as good as my partner's water. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a good, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good way to, um, it's an acquired taste maybe. Right. You really, it really is. Um, the self-love business is so tough in the beginning because it, it, I mean, that it's some funky water at first, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, all right, I'm in this bathtub. I'm reading yeah. my favorite book, but I really just would rather be hanging out with my significant other. This doesn't hold a candle to it. It's an acquired taste. And um, it's, if this stuff were easy, everybody would be doing it, you know, and it wouldn't be a, an issue. It's hard to learn how to provide some of your own needs to yourself. Mm. And it should be comforting to hear that you shouldn't have to. Um, it's a it's a wonderful human thing to want to be in relationship. And it's a wonderful human thing to get some of our needs from other people. Um, yeah, it's just hanging out on too far at the, at, hanging out too close to either end of the spectrum is where we run into trouble. Mm. And that's where we need to learn how to get some of this stuff met ourselves mm. or for the avoidance to learn how to, to let somebody else meet some of our needs. Mm. So like, you're speaking good stuff. To, yeah. And I love that you mentioned it's an acquired taste. Like that's, it is, that's really, comforting. <laughs> that's really comforting. Yeah. 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 
it should yeah. be. It's like the, the self-love, it's going to suck at first. It really will. It did for me anyway. I don't know anybody that starts doing this stuff going, this feels great. I'm just going to keep going like this. No. Uh, it, it's supposed to be hard at first. It gets easier and easier. Um, a great example from my own past was right when I got divorced, I was terrified of being alone. I must have spent every single free evening either hanging out with friends or going on dates or on the phone with my sister. I could not be alone with my own thoughts. Um, And then little by little, I challenged myself to try it. I remember the very first evening that I was like, I'm turning my phone off. I'm going to spend this evening by myself. I like cooked my favorite soup. I put on a movie I was excited to watch. And you know what? I still hated it. I still hated it. I was so lonely. Um, But I thought this is important. I'm doing it again. Right. So the next week after another bender of trivia nights and hanging out with all the friends I could find, I tried it again. And because I knew that it wasn't going to kill me, I was like, I could find little pieces of it that I enjoyed, you know? And then the next week there was even more of it that I enjoyed. And then I was able to tailor it like I suddenly got better at cooking soup and (laughs) it it became something that I really looked forward to. And now I don't want to say I'm an introvert, but I love that alone time now. I love it. And I couldn't have said that a few years ago when I started all this. So, wow. Wow. I mean, right. Isn't that cool? And then people are like, oh, you must've just found a partner who's with you all the time no it's the same partner it's the same guy I've been dating this whole time who needs the same amount of time away from me and now you know in the beginning when he wanted to go off hunting or something for a weekend I would just lose my mind I'd be so lonely and now I'm like get out here I got soup to make I got books to read um yeah same person same partner yeah Um, the only thing that's changed is 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 in my head and how I feel about it so it's possible. I love that. I love that because the feeling of loneliness is what scares people so much to mm, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. To being alone and or or leaving a relationship that isn't working for them or yeah. Whatever it is. But um um what was I gonna say to that? Anyways, I I, I experienced <laughs> the same thing, the the same exact thing as you, where I would always mm-hmm. want to be with people. Um, I was very codependent in my relationships, but obviously I would deactivate a lot when I feel threatened. Oh, Um, sure. That fearful avoidance side. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, when I had my last breakup, it was a really, really toxic relationship. I was like, I am going Mm -hmm. to force myself to go to a random country, like the most foreign country to me. I went to Vietnam. I had nothing. Oh, cool. It was beautiful. But I had heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. I I just, Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, I just picked a random country and I was like, Hey, we're going to go to Vietnam, but it was to force Mm -hmm. myself in a way, um, to show myself that Jess, I could do this by myself because I was so dependent on like a guy to keep me safe and protect Mm -hmm. me, you know, protect me in this world. Um, yeah. So I love that you say I survived. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I was alone. I put myself in these uncomfortable situations, but it proved to me that I can survive. And then with time and practice, you mm-hmm. actually started to enjoy your alone mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You, 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 at first it's just surviving. And then I bet if you were to travel alone to another country now, you'd thrive. You, I mean, yeah, you would find ways to improve it and suddenly it would become something that you love. So. Yeah, I still, I think I, I don't know if I would thrive still. I have to do it a couple really? of times. Okay. <laughs> right, right. That's, yeah, it's, I, it was it's not an instant. But yeah, <laughs> but it was really scary. You're right. Like the, the discomfort, yeah. there's a lot of discomfort, but it's really to prove mm-hmm. yourself that, man, I can do it. And there's so much empowerment in that process. Yeah. So much empowerment. Yeah. yeah. That, that there is a huge part of the anxious work also. Um, learning that we can depend on ourselves and make it through uncomfortable, difficult feelings. Um, we tend to use other people to get us through that stuff as anxious attachers. And um, we don't we don't need them. That's not to say that we don't need anybody. We do. 
but um, using one or two people as the life raft that gets us through difficult situations is, is the anxious way and it doesn't have to be. That's yeah. not how it has to be for us. Yeah. So tell me, Ricky, what are some ways, I know that you've already mentioned um, some of the things you do, but what are some mm -hmm. ways that you meet your needs? How do you meet your needs? Mm. That's a real, that's another great question. Let me think. I have to dive into myself here. Yeah. Um, this is going to sound cheesy. Brace yourself. I'm probably going to listen back to this later and regret <laughs> saying it. <laughs> um, uh, my, I love love languages. I know not everybody's into them, but I think they're a great way to learn about our needs. Right. And, um, my number one love language is touch. Um, that's a really tough one when you have a partner who's gone or distant. Right. So I remember in the beginning when I was like learning about this and, and knowing that I had to meet some of my needs, I was like, when I'm feeling really lonely, I'm literally going to give myself a hug. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like I started out skeptical because I'd read about it. And I was like, this is never going to work. And I, I spent a solid week where I thought every single time I feel lonely, I'm literally just going to wrap my arms around myself and just stay like that until I feel better. And I got to say it worked. <laughs> I mean, and I, yeah, I, like I said, I know that sounds really cheesy, but no. identifying the thing that you need and, and really just giving that to yourself until it works. Um, there's a lot to that. Um, my other love language is words of affirmation. And I would send myself the text messages that I wished that other people were sending me. And that also started out being something that I thought was so cheesy and would never work. But when I woke up one morning feeling like I looked like, like really scary and I texted, I was just like, you don't need makeup and to do your hair to be totally beautiful today. And I sent it. And every time I opened my phone, it was there. And I was like, dang it. Maybe that's true. Maybe there's some truth to that. I would, I would wake up and be like, let's take ourselves out on the date that we want to go on tonight. And I was like, dang it, me, that's a great idea. <laughs> and, and it was cheesy. The self hugs and the self messages, they were super cheesy, but I, I gotta say, I can't believe it, but that stuff works. Yeah. It really does. Um, my, I have the most amazing friends, platonic friendships, you know? And, um, when I would tell them like, Hey, I'm struggling. Can you just like, can we just talk about some things that we like about each other? Can we just like text back and forth? They were always like, yes, that's amazing. Learning how to get some of that affirmation and good feelings from platonic friendships. My sister's awesome. She's like my biggest cheerleader. She would always send, send me like a, Hey, you're the best. Mm -hmm. And um, so learning how to get some of that stuff from platonic and familial relationships is very helpful too. Yeah. So it's not just all self -hug hugs. You can go ask your best <laughs> friend for a hug too. your grandmother, right? There's all kinds of people that, that, I don't know, anxious attachers put all of our eggs in that romance basket yeah, and it just doesn't have to be, you know? Yeah, it does. So that was big. Mm -hmm. It's an acquired oh. taste. No, self-love is. is an acquired yeah. taste. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and and getting a hug from your best friend, even though you wish that it was your significant other hugging you, that's an acquired taste too. We, we can learn that the love doesn't all have to come from one certain place in order to, to make us feel like we're worthy of it, you know? A hundred percent, which actually makes me think of, by the way, you guys, Ricky is doing amazing because I didn't send her any questions to prep. Oh, <laughs> Thanks. Oh, you've, uh, you've let them in on our secret. They think this is all rehearsed and it's not this yeah, is by the seat is, of our pants. I know. So I just, just letting everyone know, cause man, I just love all of your answers and I just love how fluid, um, they've all been, but I'm so curious to know, cause this is also something I get asked a lot is, mm -hmm. you know, we can get really comfortable too, with learning to meet our needs. This is something that I've yeah. thought about as well. I've gotten really good at meeting my own needs. So mm -hmm. when you're in a relationship with somebody, how do you know if they are meeting enough of your needs or mm. if, if, if it, you know, I mean, what would you, what would you say to that in terms of needs? Like, how do you know if your partner is meeting enough 
of your needs? I guess in your experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I think the first step is to learn how to recognize that feeling that our needs aren't being met. Mm -hmm. Because that's a tough one for people to even connect with um, when you're operating on autopilot, whether you're anxious or avoidant. It's hard for us to see like this thing that I hoped would happen or expected would happen isn't happening and it feels like crap. Like sometimes it's hard for us to even recognize that we just feel uncomfortable or angry or worried and we don't know why. So the first step, learn to recognize the feeling that your need isn't being met. Um, The second step would be to learn how to communicate that with your partner. Hey, in in a non-accusatory way, there's your nonviolent communication, right? Yeah. And that will start with the, with I and not you, right? Hey, I am feeling a little lonely lately. I was wondering if there's anything that we could do to connect tonight. Would you like to sit down and play cards with me instead of whatever else we were going to do? I would feel so loved if I could just sit down with you and have some time together. Um, So that's just an example, right? Of communicating a need that I have. Um, And honestly, I think that the work, the work of figuring out whether or not you need too much, because that's what your question's asking, right? is um, best done when we confront our values. Um, I asked myself a lot of questions about who I wanted to be in a relationship, not what felt good and what felt bad, but what kind of partner I aspired to be. And I really shocked myself when I was writing in my journal, I want to be the kind of partner who can let my partner go off on a weekend and truly be hoping that they have a great time. And not worry about, gosh, when are they getting back? When am I going to feel good again? I wanted to be the kind of person who didn't need seven days a week of my partner's time. Mm. And so even though that felt awful in the beginning, that was a value of mine. And knowing that it was something that I aspired to made it easier to work toward. Um, Mm. I really think like with the water metaphor, there's no right amount there. Um, So don't fall into the trap of thinking, what's the correct way to do this? You know, my, my personal values were that I wanted the kind of partner who was around most of the time, which is a perfectly normal, traditional way of being in a relationship. Um, But I I knew that I didn't want to be the kind of person that needed someone seven days a week, because that didn't leave any room for me. And I didn't want any room for me when I made this decision, but I knew that that was a healthy thing that sounded like something that I valued, even if it wasn't what I wanted. I know that that sounds strange to be able to have wants and values that are separate from each other, (laughs) but that's, um, that's important. That's my head exploding for the folks that can't see us right now. (laughs) Um, I forget that it's, it's only you and I who can see each other. Um, so that's tough. I I think when, even when people are on the account asking me, do I need too much? What's a normal amount to need? Figure that you have to figure that out for yourself, what, what you value and what you truly want for yourself, not what you want, but what you want for yourself. I wanted to be someone who could give people a little bit of space. And, um, that doesn't mean I'm going to try to cram myself into the into the type of person who only hung out two days a week with my significant other because that doesn't line up with my values I knew I wanted a very traditional looking relationship where we're together most of the time um yeah that was really wordy that was a very verbose way of answering that but I think yeah yeah I hope that connects with your audience there Uh, you need to sit down and figure your values out for yourself They might not line up with what you actually want, but you can value something for yourself and for a future partner or your current partner um, and then work, work toward that. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. I love that. There's, there's no right answer to that. It's, it's so um, subjective again to the person. These things are very, very unique to your, yourself, your personality needs, your relationship needs. Um, so there's no right answer to any of that. And that, that's why we have to stop also comparing ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> comparison's the thief of joy, right? 
we can't be joyful when we're com- when we're in comparison. Right. Um, and here's here's one I'll throw at you. And like you said, this is unprepared. So if you if you don't yeah. have something that pops up, um, oh gosh, did I lose it? I had it right. Oh! It was right in the front of my mind. <laughs> comparison is the thief of joy. Um, oh man, Jessica, I, <laughs> I do. It'll come back. How much? I know. How much time do we have? It'll oh, come back. we're good. I mean, we, okay. we have all the time. Yeah. Okay, um, great. But what I was going to say to that though, is because I know that I get caught in that trap mm-hmm. of comparison where, yeah. um, you know, I'm like, wow, well, it seems like their relationship, there's so much affection and there's so much mm-hmm. gift giving and there's so much affirmation and what are the, you know, all the love languages. And I'm like, Hey Jess, mm-hmm. Hey Jess, mm-hmm. how are you feeling? <laughs> I have to check in with myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's something that most insecure attachers do not do. They don't do that at all. They're, they're looking at other people for how should I feel or how, how should I be acting in this situation? Yeah. And a return to the self is, is necessary there. And it's tough. A hundred percent. And that was actually a lot of uh, like my healing journey was, Hey Jess, how do I stop looking mm-hmm. for validation outside of me mm-hmm. and reassurance yeah. outside of me and, and yeah. ask myself, how do you feel mm-hmm. or how do I feel? about this mm-hmm. what do I need it's big it's huge. yeah okay I I think I got it I think it's come back okay so how do you navigate this so you in the in the spirit of comparison you're looking and you're seeing these relationships with all the gifts and all the affirmation how do you combat how do you personally combat the fear that the things that you've decided you value and want might be too much for your specific significant other. So mm-hmm. you've decided that the things that you want, you feel good about, that's who you want to be, but they, it, it might be too much water to ask for from a partner, especially one who leans slightly avoidant. How do you navigate that? How do you navigate that fear? That's a, that's the that's question. A that's a big one. That's <laughs> a really, really good one. And tr- trust mm-hmm. me, I have pondered on this mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> a lot yeah so it's it's interesting because because I have a lot of that that anxious in me I am mm-hmm. a big I mean he's a giver too but I'm a mm-hmm. giver in terms of nurturing in terms of mm-hmm. thoughtfulness in terms mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like anticipating people's needs whereas yeah. he isn't he's just not sure. in tune with that and and mm-hmm. I had to to answer your question, I've had to learn to understand that and accept those mm-hmm. differences. Perfect. I um, love that. Yeah. So that's been really huge. However, I still have those needs. Like I still have mm-hmm. um, like the need for the thoughtfulness and the need mm-hmm. for just like care, like this, this nurturance that yeah. he's not I don't want to say he's not very good at, but because he shows, <laughs> he shows love in so many different ways. And I've, I've learned to appreciate and recognize that. Um, yeah. but what I have had to do, Ricky is just learn mm-hmm. that a, it does not come natural to him and mm-hmm. that I just have to request more of that from him. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And it's, I love not, that. and it's not his first language. It's not his yeah. first language so I have to be okay with the fact that it's his second language you know what I mean yeah fantastic so I love that so to sum up your answer it would be like um understanding about your partner's capabilities and challenges and also standing up for what you know that you actually need yeah fantastic those are excellent that was a perfect answer yeah (laughs) but I I gotta say though like I'm still learning I'm still navigating those yeah for sure. It's an art. I think it's an art. I really do. Learning to not be, you you don't want to be making excuses for someone because that's what I used to do too. Like, oh, this is challenging for my partner. So I'm not going to push them on this. You you don't want to do that. So learning how to strike a balance between this is challenging for them. So I'm not going to ask them and I'm going to demand it. You know, there's something, there's a happy medium in the middle that we really yeah. it's an art getting there it really is it's such an art because mm-hmm. you know you, you you question like okay but is this enough is there something mm-hmm. better 
can I actually, and here's my fearful Ooh, avoidant. Yeah. Here's my fearful yeah. avoidant. Like, oh, sure. is there something <laughs> better out there? Or is there someone mm-hmm. that can actually meet all of these needs? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's, that's just, I, I like, I like to think that everybody asks themselves that. I hope they do. I hope, I hope they're not do. weird. And okay. yeah, if we do, <laughs> really, if we do, if we I'm do sure. everybody wants, right? Yeah. Well, there's, I'm sure there's some, some weirdos out there who are like, I just know this is the only person who's my soulmate. Those people must exist, but I would bet they're in the minority, in the extreme yeah. minority. I think it's a very healthy thing and a very human thing to, yeah. to day, daydream about. Maybe there's a perfect, I mean, it's certainly anyone who's watched a Disney movie at any point in their childhood is also going to be filled with the the fantasy that somebody out there yeah. can meet their needs perfectly without trying. But I, I also wonder if that's kind of an infantile desire. And I say that insulting myself too. You know, everybody wants things to be easy. We all want to be in the relationship where no one has to try and our love languages are exactly the same. And I, I really think that kind of thinking does not support the wonderful fact that relationships taking work is kind of a cool thing too. Yeah. The idea that two people are putting in effort to understand this totally different human being with different needs and preferences. Like that's a wonderful thing. That's like the essence of love, isn't it? When you do something because it's hard and because you desire to understand someone and because you want them to feel fulfilled in ways that might not be easy for you. Not, not to, not to make anyone who's in a legitimately abusive relationship, like dig their heels in. But honestly, like, I, I really think a lot of this is supposed to be a little bit difficult because anything worth having is worth working for. Mm. So anyway, that's my, that's my thought on that. I I have relationships yeah, good. Thank you. I have relationships in my life that are a lot easier because someone's very similar. But honestly, um, when I have to stretch myself to understand someone, it's that's the there's something to be said about a connection like that. Mm-hmm. To when both people are stretching themselves for each other, I think that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, and Disney doesn't talk about that enough. So shame no, on you, Disney. I know. <laughs> no, really and I was going to say, I mean, wouldn't you say that that's a secure attached relationship? Because we have this Absolutely. idea that secure attached yeah. relationships are this perfect thing with no flaws, no bites, no problems, but that is not. No. All. Amen. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. The secure relationship is not the easy relationship where nobody has to try because everything lines up. The secure relationship is one where people feel safe stretching themselves to make the other person feel loved and safe and comfortable. And yeah, and yeah. there's both, they're stretching on both sides. And it, yeah. yeah, that is, I guess it is the essence of a secure relationship. Yeah. 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 That flexibility, the flexibility mm-hmm. and the understanding and the communication. I mean, it's all of those skills. That- yeah. And just to add the certainty that we're going to be okay, no matter how it turns out. Mm-hmm. That's, that's huge. That's something that the insecure attachers do not have and should aspire to. The feeling that even if this relationship totally crumbles like a house of cards, I'm going to be standing when it, when the dust settles. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's so good to practice being alone sometimes, even if you're in a relationship, like exactly because then it's, it's like Mm -hmm. you said, you're just providing your brain with evidence that, Hey, we survived. So if something, I can do it. Hey, yeah, I can do it. I'll be okay. Yeah, it gives it also gives us uh, the ability to give our partners more freedom to be themselves. I mean, it combats that enmeshment, you know. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you <laughs> for your words of wisdom. Um I I guess my my last question here is, you know, because we're all, you know, striving to become more securely attached is obviously a goal that a lot of us have. Um mm-hmm. I mean, would you say that you know, where do you feel like you are doing all the work that you've been doing, coming as far along as you have? Mm-hmm. Would you say that you still have your anxious tendencies, 
and they, you know, you just have different ways of responding to it. Like be real. I, I would just like a realistic answer so people can sure. relate to yeah. your experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, okay. And let me see, I don't want to think too much about it because I want to be, I want to be as honest as possible. Um, I absolutely still feel echoes of the very strong, anxious thoughts and, and feelings that I used to have. Um, I want to call them echoes though, because I, I hear them. I don't believe them anymore. I used to just hear them and feel them and I would just buy into them wholesale. And so I want to say, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, from your attachment reading too, that this stuff's programmed very, very young in us. Those are some really hardwired things that are happening. But um, when we don't believe that little voice anymore, um, it doesn't, it doesn't affect us nearly as much as it used to. So I will send my partner a text message and um, God bless him. He's the worst texter I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> and the text that will come back, it'll have no emojis, right? Maybe it'll be like a single word and it feels kind of dismissive. And, um, and you know that my, the first thing that my brain whispers, whispers to me is he hates you. Why is he even in this relationship? Right. But in the past, when I would, I would hear that and I would believe it. And my whole nervous system would speed up. My heart would start beating. I would feel like I was choking. You know, when you don't believe that from the get go, you're able to choose a different response. You know, you, so my body doesn't wind up like it used to. I look like a hundred percent more laid back than I, than I was because I am, I do still hear those things. That's the first place that my brain goes, but now I have all these tools for dealing with that. I will see a text message like that. And after I hear that anxious whisper, I will tell myself, you know what? He's probably busy. Mm -hmm. And I know that he still cares about me because he made me coffee this morning, exactly the way that I like it. You know, um, if wow. this text message hurts my feelings, I know that I'm now able to tell him, Hey, that felt a little short in the future. Like maybe just send me a silly emoji. If you're only busy enough for a few characters, right? I have ways to communicate and ways to reason all these tools. It's not that I'm not anxious anymore. And I think that's part of the reason I chose my handle, the anxious heart, because I, I think a lot of it is very hardwired, but when we have the tools to deal with it, it's not driving the bus anymore. And we're not feeling that wind up that, that was so detrimental to how we acted in relationships in the past. Oh my gosh. That's, that's earned secure in a nutshell. Yes. Earned <laughs> secure attachment. Yep. And you mm -hmm. just, uh, you just spoke right to my soul, by the way, because that's Excellent. exactly, exa <laughs> and I love how you mentioned it. it it's an echo. It's an mm -hmm. echo now. So it's still yeah. very much there, right? It's there. Yeah. It's, there. Yeah. it's just that, you know, now you respond differently to, mm -hmm you know, the echo or whatever yeah. situation, the challenge that, that comes up. Mm -hmm. um, There's tools in my belt that weren't there yes. before and I can pull those out and zap those. Yeah. yeah. I love it. <laughs> and you know, I always used to make so much fun of like, oh my gosh, the tool belt. Yep. Let me, let oh, me I love the, the tool belt. I'm sticking <laughs> with it. I love the tool belt. I, oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> I have my tools now. I got my mm -hmm. toolbox and it's thank God for that. And thank God that yeah. Um, you know, we can, it's a skill like to become more securely attached is a skill set that we can all learn. We can all learn it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always tell everybody if, if I could become even a little bit more secure, anybody can, I was the most anxious of anybody that I've read about or met or known. It's like, if I can do it, I, I really feel like a vast majority of folks can. There may be special cases where people perhaps have gone through insane trauma that I did not, and they may have more challenges, but man, mm -hmm. if, if I can, I feel, have so much hope for everybody that I've talked to. Oh, 
Ricky. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and just, I mean, thanks I, for having me. Yeah. Your vulnerability, your transparency, your wisdom, like everything <laughs> that you say, I could just, it just speaks to the heart. It speaks to the heart. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. I, I think I could talk all day with people who care about this stuff as much as I do. It truly is my favorite topic. So thanks for having me. I look forward to podcasts where I can meet with other like minds. I love it. I love it. And, and where can people find you? I know you have a book, you have your amazing Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I spend most of my time on uh, my Instagram. It's at uh, anxious hearts guide. Um, But honestly, I've been spending a lot more time on TikTok lately. That's kind of weird, but (laughs) (laughs) so it, so anybody who's listening, who's on TikTok, same handle anxious hearts guide. Um, my website, anxiousheartsguide.com is where you can find my paperback. Um, I'm on Amazon for the Kindle folks. Um, I have two different, three, actually, never mind. I have three new book projects in the works. So, uh, 2023 is going to be a very big year for me. So if you guys, if the listeners here, if you like my writing, um, keep an eye open because there's, there's a lot of good stuff coming out. Incredible. Thank you so much for the mm-hmm. work that you do. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for spreading the word too. Cause I, I do, I'm such a huge fangirl for your posts. Thank you so much for listening. If you are ready to begin shifting your own attachment patterns, you can learn more about my digital courses and my one-on-one attachment coaching package via the links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive rating. Your support means so much to me.